Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, just a photographer who's been at it for over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection, It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week I share a devotional inspired by the name of one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotion is inspired by the image titled, The Way. It's an image from the early days of my Capturing the Cross collection. Even though a pure silhouette, you can tell that there is tall grass about three feet high around the base of the cross. There is a commercial airliner flying over and away the upper right-hand quadrant of the silhouetted cross. You can see the airplane is flying away from the cross. And take note, the entire collection was shot on 35mm film. And in the case of this image, I experimented with color infrared film. The effect is a surreal mix of greenish color instead of the usual blue. A kind of an awkward color sky does not sound like it would work, but it actually does for this image. The yellow comes up from where the sun just set and zonally fades into a calming shade of green-blue across the rest of the sky. It's a very cool cross image. And why the title, The Way? Well, the first thing that pops into my head is that the original Christians, after the ascension of Jesus, referred to themselves as followers of the way. makes perfect sense as We Christians are to emulate Jesus, and the way is how Jesus referred to himself. Remember when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. And the early followers of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch. And it meant followers of Christ, followers of the Messiah, or followers of the anointed. But that is something that evolved over time. Throughout the early church, as we see in the book of Acts and in other historical documents, the followers of Jesus were not called Christians, but were called followers of the way or people of the way. They were not simply committed to cultural practice, ritual, or religious obligation, but were reported to have lived in complete devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They lived differently because of their encounter with the Lord Jesus. They taught differently. They loved differently. They approached every aspect of their life differently. Here are some verses backing up their name, their collective name, before we see the name change in Acts eleven twenty six. So in Acts 9, 2, quote, He asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Talking about Saul. Acts 19.9 But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Acts 19.23 About their time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. So in this case, it means the way caused a lot of disruptions in the synagogue of that region. Acts 24.14 But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Acts 24.22 But Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When the Sios, the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. But the transition from this knowledge of the early church to my reason for naming this devotional's image the way is not that much profound. It actually coincides with the name of the early believers, which is that I am a human soul, traveling through this thing called life. I am on a journey and can choose what paths to go down as there are forks in the road every moment of every day. Now, yes, I chose to believe in the divinity of Jesus and how he accepted his destiny of being a sacrifice on the cross. And yes, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And in that moment, I became born again. Does that mean I'm a perfect divine being? Does it mean that I have arrived? No, far from it. I'm still a sojourner, traveling through all the ups and downs of life. I am and will always be on the way, on the way from good to better every day. One of my daily prayers asks God to be with me on the road to righteousness. For his namesake. I would be disingenuous to say that I am a righteous person. I am by now a very seasoned sinner, but I am more righteous today from this date than one year ago. And if I am on the way, what direction am I headed? The ultimate goal of all of us believers is to be in the presence of God in heaven for eternity. In this image, entitled The Way, there is a plane flying away from the cross. So my artistic interpretation is that because of the sacrifice made on the cross, when we pass on, we have a very special first-class flight over the chasm between the majority of mankind living in a fallen state to the glorious presence of our Savior, 
Jesus Christ, forever. This image is one that has inspired me to consider making prayer cards for people and even funeral homes. In fact, it was a funeral director for my grandma Darlene's funeral service who suggested it. When he saw this image on her prayer card and he found out it was my shot and of the cross collection, he said that he felt I could bring hope to grieving families through the cross images. It makes me wonder, what does the cross mean to people in general or people who are grieving? And to those who view the cross while going through a hard time in life? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 to 3 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This perspective from the book of Hebrews reminds me of a poem by Beth Moore, simply titled, Jesus. And it goes like this. He is Jesus, the one and only, transcendent over all else. To know him is to love him. To love him is to long for him. To long for him is to finally reach into the hands of the one true thing that we never get enough of, Jesus. Take all you want. Take all you need. Till soul is fed and spirit freed. Till dust is dust, his face you see. Jesus Christ, he's all you need. Beth also wants that Jesus is my delight. She said, He is my safety. Loving him with absolute abandon is no doubt in my own best interest. As one who has been delivered from a life of defeat and hidden self-destruction, my deepest desire is for every man, woman, youth, and child is to find that love. Amen. And to which I say, me too. I... Think of an analogy likening the pain and suffering of childbirth to the joy of seeing your baby after the pain of delivery has been filed away in a faraway mental filing cabinet. And not just about the delivery, as there is an awful lot of pregnant moms who have to endure a lot of things leading up to the delivery, especially in that last trimester. There are hormone changes, hot flashes, sore feet, backaches, change in taste, heartburn, even being subjected to bouts of the baby from you know kicking within. Now, as they near delivery, the contractions are just a signal that she is just about to enter a more intense phase, like the appearance of a water cyclone when the water draws down to a certain level. The water spout gets more defined as the volume gets down to a point. The sound of the water gets more pronounced as it gets closer to the drain. To me, this applies to Jesus and what he went through on the cross for us. As it also says in Hebrews 12, it was physical pain, spiritual anguish, and the deep sense of abandonment from his heavenly Father, all of which he endured with his eyes on the joy to come.
Mother Teresa of Calcutta built her ministry around a two-word sentence that Jesus said on the cross when he said, I thirst. On a side note, the two-word sentences about Jesus in the Bible is, I thirst and Jesus wept. I feel Jesus cries when people die in their sins, and Jesus thirsts to bring salvation to as many as possible, to as many that will accept him. And Jesus looks forward to knowing these lives will be full of joy as they travel down the road that is the rest of their life. And as I expand on the analogy, I can and I will expand on my analogy about Jesus because the cross is that culmination. The transition zone just before the crucifixion, like contractions that started the Garden of Gethsemane, and then the beatings, the shame, the literal torture he endured, which led up to Calvary. And to take this perspective to a deeper level, allow me to quote Isaiah 52.14, which says, Just as there were many who were appalled looking at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond any human likeness. In another translation, it says, he no longer looked like a human man. It means you would not be able to recognize him as Jesus or even as human. Let that sink in a bit. Jesus was tortured and beaten beyond recognition. And yet, before that, there was another transition zone of anguish, that Jesus suffered through the intense prayer session in the Garden of Gethsemane. His spiritual distress was coupled with the anguish of his physical state, even to the point of sweating blood. The prayer session was the last escape hatch for Jesus to escape torture and the cross. Could Jesus have called angels down any time during the trial and crucifixion? Yes, of course, but... I believe it was during the intensity of the Gethsemane prayer session where he chose, he decided to trade in his body, soul, and spirit for the joy of providing salvation for all mankind. And yet, there was a broader transition period between his life of a carpenter and being arrested by the Sanhedrin. And that is the three years of ministry that led him up to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that Jesus, fully divine and fully human, suffered hunger, cold, overheating, sore feet, grief, joy, compassion, righteous anger, and more. The Bible says that during his ministry, religious leaders often tested, taunted, and even a few times tried to stone Jesus. The point is, Jesus suffered quite a lot leading up to the cross. And we know from Scripture, Jesus willingly went through the pain and shame, looking forward to the joy of all the souls that would be saved by his blood. It brings to mind a quote from W.E. Vine, which goes like this. Suffering increases our capacity for joy. Lots of analogies come to mind. One is in regards to the time, sweat, and pain uh, the typical Olympic athlete goes through just to qualify to be able to compete in their specific Olympic sport. Years and years of many hours every day of practice, sometimes painful practice. Some must follow strict diets, precluding them from the joys many of us take for granted. Things like ice cream and pizza are refused. Point is, these athletes choose to suffer now in the hope of joy 
should they realize their dream of an Olympic medal. Many parents go through financial suffering or the discipline of tight budgets to pay for a good education for their children, either for a private school or, of course, the cost of a university degree. They sacrifice having a newer car, vacations, or even taking the spouse out to fancy dinners to cover the cost of their child's education. Many parents you and I know make major sacrifices in the hope of the joy of seeing that child graduate with a degree. Another is the pain and suffering that an adolescent and teenagers willingly choose to endure, meaning they agree to have metal fixtures installed in their mouth, most often for many years, for the hope of the joy that comes when they remove the braces to reveal a beautiful smile. A family friend was about to retire recently when his son received his bachelor degree in biochemical engineering. He is a meat manager at a supermarket, which means he's been on his feet for 8 to 10 hours a day for over 30 years, and he is at the point where his lower legs and feet give him a lot of pain, and it's time for him to put his feet up, literally and figuratively. But his son is now in his master's program and wants to go on for his doctorate, so guess what? My friend won't be retired for another two years or even four because of the doctorate. Now, he is not adverse to it or bitter. On the contrary, he's more than happy to go through the daily pains of still being on his feet all day to help his son realize his dream of a doctorate and becoming a professor. In a general sense, the premise is what King Solomon was trying to teach us back in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, that there is a time for every purpose time to be born and a time to die, time to plant and a time to uproot, time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, and a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What is the theme that is too obvious to miss? One might say opposites, others might say duality, another might see it as polarities. In its simplest form, life is full of good and bad. Some that we have not a choice in, like Job did not, but others do have a choice, as when they choose to eat that second plate at a holiday event, the latter being not a big deal unless you've had an overeating problem for a while. And so each event provides an opportunity to suffer with only having one plate and choose to enjoy the joy of losing weight instead of gaining weight. And over time, if the overeating, eater forces himself to stick to one plate a night for, say, a year, then they will have the joy of a smaller waistline and a healthier uh, feeling about themselves. Okay, that is very simplistic, but let me uh, go a bit deeper. Everything we perceive or understand about our reality in this universe is built on waves. And what is a wave? Another duality. Yes, just like light is not a particle is it, it's a particle and it's a frequency. It could also be defined as a noun and a verb. 
And the latter being my question, what action is the wave making? Another applicable name of a wave is a cycle. Picture the letter M, or an elongated M. The wave travels up to one polarity and then down to the other polarity and back up and then back down. You could also picture it as a W, as it goes up and down over and over and over again. This action of passing up to a positive polarity and down to a negative polarity is found at the subatomic level as well as the largest galaxies across the universe. Fractally, the point is that everything in our reality, from the microscopic to the macroscopic, is built on waves, or as I said, cycles. And everything is built on and or affected by cycles and the duality of polarity, the continual path of the wave between positive and negative. And thus, from our human perspective, we experience dark and light, tired and rested, cold and hot, hungry and full, happy and sad, hard and soft, like ice and fluids. These are polarities of the moment, but some are tied to a daily cycle and some others are tied to annual cycles. A year is defined as the annual trip of our planet around the sun, And this annual trip allows for most regions to have four distinct seasons. And since these cycles affect everything on Earth, it means it not only affects the physical aspects of who we are, but most importantly, the spiritual aspects of who we are as well, who we really are. When mankind lived in mostly an agrarian society, we had to plan, prep the land and plant in spring, nurture through the summer, harvest and save, like, for example, canning, save the food to sustain the family during the frigid famine of winter. My point is, we can't experience the joy of spring without making it through the sacrifices of winter. We have to make personal choices during the cycles of our life, during the cycles of our environment. Lots of variables, but if you live near the equator and a hurricane takes out your crops... You will find you and your neighbors without food for another year. You could do everything right and still find yourself in a destitute situation. But as we learn from Job, the proper choice is to love and praise God during any situation. Think about if everything was good all the time, who would ever really need to trust God for anything? The Bible in the New Testament calls us to take up our cross and die to ourselves daily. It does not say you can put the cross on the shelf during hard times and stressful situations. It is a hard commitment to make and one that has to be renewed every day. Yes, carrying that cross that the unique you will carry will require various levels and types of suffering. Some just make sense. Like in the tradition of Lent, you are to refrain during those 40 days from the things that have been getting in the way between you and your relationship with Jesus, and to achieving your destiny in God. If you struggle with, say, gambling, it stands to reason that it makes you feel good to gamble. It does something to the part of your brain that makes you feel really good. Some scientists refer to it as a dis-ease. But if your cross is to refrain from gambling, then sure, it might be more painful than the Olympic hopeful passing up ice cream. For the gambler in the grips of addiction, it may really hurt to actively and directly say no to your Adamic nature and get through the day without visiting the casino or online gaming. But the joy of doing so makes you a better human and a better Christian. Okay, so 
maybe this is not the best analogy, but there are many things that are big addictions to some that may seem like small issues for others. Someone might say it is not not a big deal to give into gossiping about another individual. I've heard it said that it makes the gossiper feel good, really good to elevate themselves by tearing down someone else. For that Christian, a portion of their cross is to purposefully and proactively prohibit themselves from gossiping activity that naturally feels good in order to live in the light and joy of the Lord. We need to remember the lesson of the two thieves hanging next to the crucified Jesus. The bad thief mocked Christ as if he did not need a Savior. However, he did. And he isn't the only one who deserves death. Every one of us has sinned and thus deserves eternal separation from God. But in his mercy, God became a man to begin to set things right. We just have to follow in the footsteps of the good thief, acknowledge our sinfulness, and turn to Jesus. Sometimes, like the bad thief, we wish to be taken down from the cross, frustrated with what we are suffering. We too, like the bad thief, sometimes doubt, wondering why doesn't God just remove this suffering? But in this life, being taken down from the cross is not the answer. Jesus endured it, the good thief endured it, St. Peter upside down endured it, many saints and missionaries endured it, so we too must be ready to endure it, knowing that we really deserve condemnation and worse. Knowing if we persevere, we can place our hope in something greater than merely being freed from suffering. We can look forward to the joy of receiving the fullness of the kingdom of God in our hearts here on earth and being with God forever in heaven. This is the whole story of the human race. And for those of us on the way, meaning the divine Jesus allowing himself to be crucified, cursed, and abandoned, knowing the covert agenda, the hidden plan from the fall in the Garden of Eden, was to take back dominion of this earth. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus did come back. He was resurrected holding the keys to life and the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The power that allows us to be saved, to be born again today. You too can choose to share in the suffering with Christ, trusting the blood of Jesus, to overcome the outpouring of wrath for the sin we deserve, to allow God's joy while we walk in the way, living out our days on earth, and also hope in the eternal afterlife with the Trinity. In Matthew 7, 13 to 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. After the ascension of Jesus, the original Christians referred to themselves, as I mentioned, as the way which meant and inferred that they were followers of Christ. And are we not called to be emulators and followers of Christ? Are we not called to stay on the way? If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Do you feel that you've been living in the way? If not, I suggest you meditate on the paradigm of the cross, the message of the cross, and what Jesus did for you because... It removes all possible fear, doubt, and insecurity. 
It allows you to choose God's will without overthinking it, knowing that the truth of the gospel is that the worst case result of any situation is the best case outcome for us, God's children. Go in the way and live in that perspective today. And if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and ask God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you on the way and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. Heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed in this devotional's image, The Way, along with my other Verspirations, then check out Verspiration or Rob Holton Spires on Instagram. And support for what the cross means to me comes from the generous donations from people like you. To help this ministry share the gospel through imagery, then please log on to Robbie Holt and make a donation. That is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T dot com.